You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode of the podcast, Heidi from At She Has a Reader's Soul and I talk about When Apricots Bloom by Gina Wilkinson. In my opinion, this book deserves to be all over Bookstagram, so if you haven't yet read it, I highly recommend you do so, and then listen to the episode, as there is a few spoilers in the show. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Heidi, and welcome to the Bookstore and Podcast. How are you today? I am doing very well, thank you. How are you? you? Good. Staying cool. It's fairly windy here in Brisbane today, so it's not too hot, which is nice. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we have a bit of an overcast day over here, so. Yeah, it's yeah, been, yeah it's been a bit overcast here too, but like the the rain hasn't like come through, so which is good because all my washing's on the line. Yeah, I hate when that happens. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with an icebreaker question, and my icebreaker question I have for you for this episode is: What is the prettiest book spine you have ever seen? Um, so it would have to be the botanist daughter by Kate Nunn um I was browsing through the library um and I had just I just picked it out and I was like that is actually really stunning um it has flowers at the top and the bottom and then the botanist daughter is written in gold um and I just thought it was absolutely pretty I love when uh, books use that gold or silver detailing on a book. It makes it um, all the more like captivating, especially when it's on the spine. It's quite often when we spot books, we spot them via their spines. Uh, Mine also has some floral tones to it and it is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. It's probably one of my favorites because it's spent the longest on its shelf facing out to me. Uh, But the copy that I have is like a a kind of... um, I guess it's like a peachy sort of tone or like a deep sort of peach tone. And then it has like florals and like almost little rainbows and birds on it. And um, it's quite pretty or stunning according to the New York times, which is what's written. (laughs) So yeah, I definitely have to get into it and finally read it. It is an intergenerational text. So I am um, concerned about the length of time it will probably take and also the concentration. So maybe during the Christmas holidays this year, I need to really get onto it. Yeah, I have seen, I've heard of that one and I just, the cover is stunning. Mm. Yeah. And one place you can go to find some stunning covers on show is Heidi's Bookstagram. So Heidi's Bookstagram <laughs> handle is, yeah, did you like the segue? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> is at she has a reader's soul. So Heidi, could you please describe your Bookstagram feed for my listeners? My Bookstagram, I would say it's, simple and minimal with like a touch of color here and there. I think Um, I love a plain white background, a little bit of greenery, fake greenery because I can't keep anything alive. Um, And then like a mug of tea and books. Yeah. So I try to feature those things. They're my favorite things. I try to feature them in my posts. Yeah. And I think you also have really nice, like, sweet, clean lines within your work as well. So it's, like, minimalist and simplistic, but it's also got a really nice, like, eye-catching layout to what you what you do and what you create. And one of the questions I did want to ask you about your account in particular is how do you actually go about creating your flat lays that have that sort of minimalist or effortless feel to them? Um, so I usually start with 
what I want, what books I want to feature. So it could be in my current read, a book on my TBR or like a recent purchase. Um, so I start with that and then I just add all the extra little bells and whistles, I guess. Um, so plain white background, like I said, um, which is like a white bed sheet <laughs> that I just have lying around the house. Um, and then, yeah, add a mug of tea and, um, like I said, my fake plants. And then I just snap away. And then if I don't like how things look, then I just readjust. Um, but I try not to overthink it. I, I just kind of go with the flow if something doesn't work or if it does work, then I just, yeah, leave it at that. Do you find you take a stack of pictures all at once and then you've got a little bit of content? Yes. Yeah, I do that. I definitely try to bulk capture photos, um, if, especially if it's a lovely day. You just never know what the weather's going to do. So I definitely try to have a few. So you certainly have a lot of different photos on your feed, but is there one in particular that is your favourite that you've ever posted? A favourite would have to be one of my earlier earlier posts. Um, and it's the book called Riptides by um, Kirsten. Kirsten, I think it is. Alexander. Um, and it has this beautiful... Um, ocean on the front um, and I had just finished reading it and I thought I have to post about this book so I just had me loungewear on <laughs> and um, yeah, had held the book in my hand and was trying to hold it in one hand and take a picture in the other and it was hilarious I was laughing the whole time but I loved the photo that came out of it just yeah. having a little flick through your bookstagram now to try and locate it. But it, and doesn't it make taking images so much easier when the cover's just beautiful and simplistic on its own? I know. It's like half the work done. You know, you can, ugh, I just thought that cover was stunning. Do you have time for boring books? Yeah, neither do we. But somebody's got to find the page turners. I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. And we're the hosts of One Page More, a podcast where we read across genres from the latest bestseller to the hidden gems in the library stacks. Then we meet up to roast or toast them. Our show always delivers spoiler-free reviews at the top, plus answers the age-old question, should you read it or should you listen to it? So come listen to our little book club where we don't hold back and we take being your new book besties very seriously. Then follow us on Instagram at One Page Word Podcast and let us know what you think. So when apricots bloom, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of information about the book in case you haven't heard about it before. Intersecting the lives of three women living in Baghdad, Ali, a deputy ambassador's wife, Huda, a secretary of the Australian ambassador, and Rania, an artist. As they become more embroiled in one another's lives, their past spill into the present. When Apricots Bloom was a surprisingly different read for me with an intense ending that explores motherhood, friendship and loyalty. So Heidi, how would you describe When Apricots Bloom in three words? I would say suspenseful, um, confronting and memorable. I think the characters are what were memorable for me. 
um, yeah, just meeting all the three women and their stories and how they all were intertwined, I think that really made the book for me. Yeah, certainly. Mine were Embroiled, Surprising and Motherhood were probably the three things that um, left its mark on me. And it kind of like feeds into what you were saying there as about that idea of it being suspenseful um, and those like intertwining lives that each of the women, uh, the intertwining lives that we see from each of the women as well. How did you find Iraq as a setting for this story? So I had never read a book that was based in Iraq before. So I kind of went into this blind um, and I think that worked for me because I didn't have this sort of preconceived idea of what it would look like. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I found, yeah, I found it unique. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And other than probably a handful of like stories set in Afghanistan, I don't think I've ever actually read a book that's set in Iraq itself. And the setting, it, uh, the setting just really enthralled me. It was quite interesting to read about it from the perspective of, a, of three different women. Um, and in particular, one of the things that I liked about the setting was learning a little bit more about some of the customs and beliefs. And in particular, the inclusion of the runes um, and reading of coffee grounds and the importance that it had within Huda's life in particular. And even yeah. though it was a practice that wasn't wasn't as acceptable as it used to be Huda herself like still she uh, found solace within the runes or solace within the reading of the coffee grounds and that was something that was an added layer to the story and added a bit of texture and color to it for me yeah 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 I agree and we have those shifting perspectives between um, Huda and Ali and Rania. And I really hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. I did um, look them up to double check. What did you think, Heidi, of the shifting perspectives between these three women? I really enjoyed it. I love a shifting perspective in general, um, especially when characters were so connected. Um, so it was so interesting to see yes, they're individual stories, but how they all kind of played a part in each other's stories, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. I, I really agree. I, I really enjoy a shifting perspective in stories, um, and particularly when you have three very different women, but then are also united by that idea of like friendship and loyalty and and motherhood like it it made a really strong um, connection between the three of them and the fact that their two well their past were also intertwining as well so you don't just have them living in the present getting through their day-to-day life um, and and the extremes that they also would go to for the ones that they love but you also had that past threading within it um, I think the yeah. like the conflicting path between Huda and Ali was particularly Um, really interesting because they formed a friendship with one another yet they also like Huda was still informing on Ali and then Ali but then Huda also wanted to protect Ali like it was a really um, interesting pathway Um, their friendship was on yeah exactly Um, (laughs) sorry I'm lost for words that's okay (laughs) just such Um, a deep thought that we had (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was like understanding that uh, Huda, Huda didn't really have a choice in the sense mm-hmm. of um, the, their friendship had conditions and 
it was interesting to see when it was all revealed how they both reacted yeah certainly and i think too that um yeah that that's still that undying well that need to protect one another yes. um despite yeah the the kind of lifeline that ali could offer was quite yeah. interesting as well um i, I thought it was quite I, I thought this was quite interesting the at the end of the book um and i don't really believe this to be a spoiler or not and i'm just going to read a few words from the author at the end and i thought that this is quite interesting in in terms of shifting perspectives so the author herself she's australian um and she herself has lived in iraq as well and was living there during the time um in baghdad in, under saddam hussein um at, and so we, we understand that Ali could very well be a perspective or be her perspective that's, that's being told. Um, but there's certainly a, a lot of discussion, especially in the book community, about our own voices and people writing from their own voices. But I did think that Gina Wilkinson had an interesting perspective at the end where she said, I don't believe in setting rigid rules about who has the right to tell which stories or that an author should be confined to creating only characters with a similar background or genetic code. And then it skips ahead a little bit. Um, she, she goes to tell, uh, she goes to disclose like where she's lived and things like that. And she said, I found that while we might pray in a certain way, cover our hair or not, bake our bread flat or leavened, at heart, we want the same thing, safety, peace, love. We share far more in common that which, than that which divides us. I hope this book shows that. Did you have any takes on the idea that only one of the three characters she was writing from would be her own voice? I think it's added another level to the story. Like you sort of read it through and you think, oh, this is just fiction. You know, these are the characters that were brought up. I mean, that were written. But as soon as you get to the end, um, and read the little note that the author said and you just sort of think oh my goodness like this could have actually happened and you you kind of left a little bit um, like you just want to go back and read it from that perspective of understanding like okay these events actually could have happened and how does that make me feel now that I've <laughs> it definitely enriches the story more the fact that she's also she's humanizing it as well she's saying that each of us are human and therefore we have these things in in line with one another or in common with one another and um that that within itself gives her that creative license to be able to write from different perspectives and i just thought it was a it was an interesting uh thing for her to connect with or to to write about at the end of the story as well so i know i think it's american dirt um is one of the other um, books at the moment that's getting a little bit of heat because the author herself I'm just trying to remember the author's name um, the author is not of uh, she's not Mexican like a Mexican descent oh, I think okay. at the end she says her husband is um, but it's it's yeah it's it's quite a controversial read in terms of that and their own voices so um, for anyone who, who's kind of listening and it's something that interests you I highly recommend yeah reading When Apricots Bloom and then getting to the end and reading that author's note and see um, how you feel about it there whether or not the idea that it has her own voice intertwined with other voices becomes more accepting or or whatnot uh, were yeah. there any parts of the story that you found frustrating Heidi 
I think the one thing that stood out for me was just how um, the secret police in the book acted, how they just sort of came in, didn't care what was happening with um, Huda. I, I mean, in the sense of like they just came into her home, just made themselves at home. Um, and then just, just how they, you know, thought this is what I say goes and that's the end of it. I was like a little bit shocked at how abrupt they were. It's certainly a harsh reality that would have, it is exactly how uh, they would have been living in Iraq at the time and where many other people around the world would be living um, under that kind of oppression as well that yes. need to to have to do what others say um in order to what survive yeah. yeah and that also that fierce like loyalty that they had to their country but also the acknowledgement that the country they were living in is not the country they necessarily wanted to be in anymore um yeah for me you could I sort found... of see that no keep going you could sort of see that them struggling with that tension of i want to do the right thing this isn't what i want my life to look like mm. but sadly this is how it the reality of it is yeah and I certainly across like even just across history and cultures and times there would be so many people that would have that feeling of this doesn't feel like my country anymore but what do I do do you stay or do you yeah. go yeah and for me some of the elements of the story that I found a little bit frustrating was it took it felt like it took ages for Ali to get any kind of answer about her mother. And oh. I think at some points, like it just got a little bit grating, like, Oh, can't we just get like, like in a murder mystery, you get this kind of like hint every now and again, mm -hmm. and that keeps you going, but it really just felt like it was going to be a dead end for a little while there. Yes. Yep. I agree. Cause you sort of, it starts off strong and you're like, Oh yeah, we're going to get, this is going to be great. And then you sort of, it sort of dies off a little bit mm. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what actually happens? No one's telling us anything. Yeah. It would be very um, common that people would be looking for answers and they can't find those answers. But I think because we're reading it as a reader, like reading a novel that you feel like that's what that character is trying to achieve. And the fact that they're consistently getting nothing, um, but did become incredibly frustrating. The other thing, and particularly towards the end, this is probably starting to tip into spoiler territory now, um, <laughs> but I found that it was quite unfair. Um, I thought Ali's selfishness was, would have been really unfair to her husband. Like she kind of, she does these things and then the, the acceptance of wanting to help Rana and Huda in what they were trying to do for their children but yeah. did Ali really think nothing would happen to her husband? Like if they got across scot-free or if, you know, she was caught or whatever it might mean, like she just seemed to not really care about what would happen to her husband in, in yeah. it. Like she just almost like accepted like, oh, he'll be right. <laughs> the true Australian motto, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> She'll be right. Maybe that's why she just was like, oh, yeah, it'll be right. okay. That's right because you, you don't see any mention of – the husband and at towards the end do you mm. you just see the events like they're all getting together getting ready to cross and then she's like okay bye i'll be away for a couple of days yeah <laughs> yeah and not really think like if this all goes to plan or if i get caught like what kind of what's a backup plan 
Yeah, there are to him. Like we saw how easily, and I need to double check his name. I think it's a Tim. Oh, the beautiful taxi driver who who died. The one who was driving her around. Oh, a Tim. Yeah, I think it is a Tim. Yeah, there was, yeah. How like he died. Does she really think that her husband would be free from these same people that harmed, like that harmed him? Yes. They wouldn't like go and off her husband as well. Like I thought that was quite, yeah. I thought that was a bit left unsaid. We didn't really get the thought process of of um, Ali's perspective as to why she thought her husband might be safe. Yeah. Also, Tim, a Tim dying was so sad. Oh, yes. Agreed. That was really hard. That was hard to read that. Yep. Um, and especially, Billy. like, we knew that he left behind a family. We knew that for Ali, like, he, she didn't really have any friends or anyone to kind of turn to and he became a mm. safety a safe net for her yes bless him i really wanted to learn more about him to be honest yeah yeah i think he he definitely would have had an interesting story behind it as well and what so we're, we're starting now to to delve into that ending what did you think about the ending it was suspenseful is mm. the word I would use. I, I don't know about you, but I was holding my breath for like the past handful, the last handful of chapters. Cause I, you know, the way that she was writing, she created this air of suspense and what's going to happen. And for me, I was like, are they going to make it? Are they not going to make it? Is, are they going to get caught? Is something going to happen? So I was pretty much holding my breath. I fully thought that they were going to get caught. <laughs> Yeah, it was very, um, I think in my, in my reading journal, this is what I wrote, a sweaty and intense ending <laughs> that <laughs> highlighted the stakes and the danger of the situation. Um, it really showed the love of a mother and the desperate nature that they found themselves in. Um, yeah, I was I think, intense. <laughs> oh, you I think the running theme, I agree, was how far do you go to protect the ones you love? you know or to help others because for ali yeah yeah for ali she sort of had this this um like this she had this sense of duty to others didn't she like she Mm -hmm. she knew she didn't have to do it but in the end she really wanted to be able to be helpful or feel useful within her new setting that she found herself within um and yeah definitely for the other two leading ladies or our other two protagonists we we certainly got that, that the lengths that they would go to in, to protect their children. Um, yeah. and, and it's terrifying to know that people would, people would have, there would be people all around the world all the time that, that do these things or put themselves out there um, and, and find themselves in desperate situations and they just need to help their children. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you would do in, in an instance like that until it actually happens to you. Yeah, certainly. And I think that that's one of the like lasting memories that this story has on me is that it really gets you to think about the weight of the situation, how you would, how you would react. Um, and then of course, like, or like if you were Ali, would you help? Or if you yeah. were Buddha or Raina, would you help? Or would you like, yeah. Like it just, you would think. You would think that you, in the in the moment you would do the right thing, but at the same time you're like, I haven't been in that moment where I have to make that you know split decision of hmm. doing the right thing. Yeah, certainly. 
Um, my final question for you before we end the podcast today, Heidi, is have you read any books that are similar to When Apricots Bloom before? I actually haven't. But after reading that, I want to change that. But I just don't know where to start. Yeah. I, after I wrote this question, I thought about it for a while. And I really, like, I think other than um, stories about women and women, like, protecting their children um, or, you know, being having to force, uh, having to put themselves into some pretty horrible situations in order to protect the ones that they love, in terms of the setting of Iraq and the actual situation themselves, like the specific situation that the characters found them in, themselves in, I really haven't. Um, and I think that's a testament to this story as well, is that it, it was really surprising. It was actually a book club book. I hadn't picked it at all. It was only because yeah, I had to read it for book club that I gravitated towards it. And I think it's one that should be more all over bookstagram than what it actually is. Yes, I agree. I was just talking to someone today and I was like you have to read this book I think it's it'll definitely leave a mark on you mm. yeah certainly and I'm really glad when I looked through your bookstagram account I was like I really want to interview Heidi because you show <laughs> such support to the podcast um, and you also like you have a really wide range of reads on your bookstagram as well and I just thought then when I saw this one on yours, I was like, perfect, meant to be. Like not many other people have actually read When, Apric when the Apricots Bloom before, other than my um, fellow book lovers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is a bit like that. There's a few yeah. books that you don't see as often. How did you find it? I actually had had my eye on it for a while. Um I think it was the cover that took me because mm. isn't the cover stunning? <laughs> oh, the cover's beautiful. And with the, the, um, I hate snakes. Oh my God, I hate snakes. But there. Oh, there's a snake on the cover. Yeah. With the tea, oh. the teacup and the apricot. Well, on the cover yes. that, on the version that I have, because there's two different ones floating around. I think there's this one that I have, which is like a white, creamy kind of background with like tiles on the border. And then there's a, down the bottom of the, cover there is a teacup like a beautiful teacup and then there's a snake threaded through it and then an apricot. <laughs> yeah because the one I had reviewed was orange yeah I think yeah um or apricot oh, oh. apricot <laughs> <laughs> it was a perfect moment to say that I just missed yeah. it <laughs> it's all good it's all good <laughs> um yeah don't you, isn't it so interesting how, how one book can have like three or four different covers? Yes. And I really want to interview, I've been trying to sort of contact and coax uh, people who are in the publishing industry, in particular those who design book covers, to try and mm. chat to them about it. Because I find it really interesting too, the different releases of different books, whether it be their like first publication or second publication. And then depending on uh, their publisher overseas, um, yes. Like I know that there's a bit of it in, I know a little bit in terms of the fact that, um, like, you know how a lot of thrillers will have similar covers, like it yes. might be windows or houses and those sorts of things. It's to make you go, Oh, I read this book and I really liked this book. And that cover looks really similar to that other book. So I'll probably like that one too. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, yeah. Or it's meant to mimic and look alike. So popular covers, like I know, for example, for like the Riptides, which is the uh, book you spoke about earlier, I know that that one, that um, 
The Survivors by Jane Harper. Now, it has a very yes. similar cover as well. That idea of, oh, I think that's the book that I want to read. Uh-huh. And then yeah. that gets you to pick it up. Yeah. Like, and then sometimes they change the titles. Mm. Yeah. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yes. Um, the people, people we meet on vacation. Yes. Is um, one who is that? Emily. Emily Henry. That's it. Yeah, and it's called um, something completely different. Um, the people we meet on vacation, but I think there's a different. I'm trying to remember what the other one is. Something about it still has the word vacation in it. I'm pretty sure, but it's yeah. certainly um, yeah, it's that one as well has a different title. Um, and yeah. even uh, one of my books that I did last year. Um, on the podcast, which was The Last Migrations. It's just called Migrations in Other Countries. Yeah, okay. There mm. was one book that I read, I think it was by Peter Swanson, um, and the original title was Eight Perfect Murders, but when I picked it up here, it was called uh, Rules for Perfect Murders. Oh. And I was like, I was so confused. I thought it was a different book, but then I read the synopsis and I was like, oh, this is the same. <laughs> yeah it's actually yeah it's quite interesting i would definitely like to delve into that a little bit more on the podcast for sure that would be such an interesting conversation yeah well i think that's that's probably it for our conversation though I think we've um covered off quite a few things and had a really good chat about the book i think so i think so so thank heidi, you so much for having me you are so welcome heidi thank you so much for being on the bookstore and podcast Thank you. I had an absolute blast. So thank you for having me. You are welcome. And now a sweet treat just for you as you listen to the entire episode. Here is a little clip of what to expect in next week's podcast. So we've already said that the characters have minimal names or no names at all, in particular our narrator. And the island also isn't given a name and we don't have any sense of the time frame that's set in the story. Why do you think the author made that decision? I think there's two ways this could go really. And I did a little bit of research because after I read it, I did think there was some relations to potentially it having um, connotations of like somebody with dementia um, potentially forgetting little parts of their life. Um, so we could just be seeing the island from their point of view, with, maybe with somebody with dementia or something like that. But then also it does set the scene of being in this... It sort of sets the scene for, for the reader as well, because you think, I can't make up the image in my mind of this island because I don't even know what it's called or what it looks like or uh, what anybody's names are. So it sort of makes you also feel like you're maybe in a sense of disorientation as well, which I think is really good setting for the book. Yeah, certainly. And you don't get hooked on it. Like it doesn't matter. No. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't affect this. It doesn't affect the story in the sense of you're not sat there thinking, Oh, what, what is this? What does this look like? Because it's like so normalized in their world of forgetting things. You have been listening to the book story and podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian Podcast.